a very pleasant welcome into the 615 Preps Podcast. I am your host, Chris Brooks. We have been having some jokes off the air, but we won't tell those here. Uh, with me, Scott Burton, Christian Capozzi. Fellas, you know what to do. We're back. Hello, everybody. How are you? <laughs> Wait, was that Jack Nicholson I heard just a second ago? Maybe, I guess. I don't know. Here's Johnny. <laughs> We are into week four of the regular season in Middle Tennessee, and a lot of things are starting to take shape. Uh, we're going to get to some of the games from last week in just a moment, and uh, we also have Brandon Martin from Vol Recruiting Reports on with us this week as well. He'll give us some Tennessee recruiting updates and give us some names that maybe you guys either have or haven't heard about to watch for in the regular season. And then, as usual, who you got to cap it off, we'll pick the 10 best games of the week and tell you who we think is going to win. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to win, and no one's going to stop me. If it helps, I forgot my picks from last week, so I have no idea how I did last week. Oh, oh I, 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 I will I, remind I, you. I will remind you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's already Probably not great. Me. Yeah, you remember how good you did last week? Yeah. You didn't do that. Probably not great. No, I told you. <laughs> so let's dive into some of those games from last week. Scott, you were our game of the week, Mount Juliet and Lebanon. MJ extends your streak over 11 to, I think, 11 in a row, 24-7 victory over the Blue Devils. What did you kind of see from, from that game that stood out? Well, any doubts about the Golden Bears after their week one loss were, uh, were answered and emphatically answered. Uh, their defense shut down uh, the, that potent uh, Lebanon offense. Uh, you know, Coach uh, Trey Perry kept them off, uh, off balance, uh, mixing up pass and run. Uh, it honestly – they – Lebanon looked confused, and it's because Trey Perry came out in the spread, which he doesn't do. So uh, they pretty much marched up and down the field the entire first half. Uh, Messenger did a great job getting uh, the ball to multiple receivers. It was just uh, it – w- it was a dominating performance. And you know what? If you're Mountain Juliet and that change, you're able to do that change on offense because you had the week off beforehand. You had your bye week. And you know what? It's kind of for that region title right there almost. Lebanon, Mountain Juliet, those are the two in Region 4, 6A that everybody's pointed to. And, and I tell you what, the offense coordinator there at Mountain Juliet, Zach White, he did something pretty similar in 2015. They got a Wilson Central team uh, to the quarterfinals. They were 6-7 and seven that year. So he did something similar. That was the end of 2015. Uh, but you know what? Mountain Juliet, that move works. It wasn't what they were doing week one. They found that they had an issue on offense. They fixed it. They had two weeks to prepare for this one, and that's a really big win for them. One and one is not much bigger for many teams around this area because I'm not going to say they've won that region already, but that goes a long way in doing so. And we talked with Trey Perry last week about the the early open date, and it seemed like that it worked wonders for them on offense to get that game plan ready for Lebanon. They've got Gallatin this week. Gallatin basically threw another dagger to everybody else, a 49-14 victory over Hillsboro. This game had a little bit of consequences before. It, uh, this was supposed to be at TSU. They had some lighting issues right before Friday night. They couldn't play it there. It was moved to Gallatin. Hillsboro was technically still the home team, but Gallatin pretty much ran roughshod over them. I, yeah, I didn't see this coming. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Hillsboro, I don't think they definitely didn't see this coming. Um, what you know, The question is going to be going forward, who can stop Galton's run game? Because they had another big night running. Yeah, 430 yards on offense. And Spencer Briggs, he's the topic of conversation that just keeps coming up every single week. And, and you know what? It's tough for Hillsboro. This is now the second year where they don't have really a, a place to call home. They've been splitting time between TSU, Vandy, and and this week, unfortunately, they just had to go to Hillsborough or they had to go to Gallatin because neither were available. And you know what, Gallatin, all of a sudden, Coach Watson had just, you know, after week one, nice win against Lebanon. Week two, another nice win, and all of a sudden, we're three weeks in. They're three and zero. You you talked about it. That Mountain Juliet Gallatin game was once a district game. It is no longer, but that's going to be a huge game in Wilson County this week. And in terms of that region, I now circled October 25th on the schedule. They play Beach. That's going to be for the region title, uh, unless something just unforeseen happens. That's a region title game, and those teams could both be in the top five in Class 5A when they meet up in October, that's going to be a, a massive matchup late in the year for them. And as much as it was the Gallatin offense, their defense is really starting to pick up too. They kept Hillsborough to 220 yards. Uh, they recorded two turnovers. 
Gallatin's starting to become a really well-balanced team, and it started from week one. They held Lebanon to seven points. Yeah, they're what is it? They're averaging only allowing seven points per game. I mean, so along with uh, along with this dominating run uh, offense that controls clock and you know keeps the opposing offenses off the field, their defense is doing the job too. And that's the best complementary football you can really find around. If you got a solid run game and you got a defense like they have, you're going to win a lot of ball games. And I think they've proven that so far. Another one that we kind of we, we picked it last week and it was really close. It came down to the field goal. Springfield over White House Heritage, 42-41. White House Heritage had a chance to win it late, and they got a kick blocked at the end. Yeah, Cale Jones is a difference maker. <laughs> he had blocked an extra point in a field goal against Clarksville, and then he comes through and blocks a possible game winner for White House Heritage. Uh, you know, say what you want, and you make fun of us, but the kicking game matters. Shows it up time matter- and time again. It mattered in this game because I missed the difference – was a, mix, a missed extra point yep. that allowed it to go in and then a blocked field goal. Special teams matter. It, you know, the, Ye- the Yellow Jackets, you know, they do have a beast there, uh, Galante White. You know, he rushed for 186 yards, three touchdowns. Um, but Parker Deaton, you know, he, uh, from the Heritage side, he kind of almost matched him. So th- this is two teams that are offensive powerhouses and it basically came down to the details this game was so different than it was in 2018 last year springfield won 37 to 6 and we said that last week that white house heritage was going to be in this ball game and sure enough into the final seconds there was 926 total yards on offense between the two teams it's it's a different white house heritage team and they showed it on friday against springfield and you know like we said spring or uh, special teams each time you go out there to make a kick, and then all of a sudden, uh, you're one play away. That's a team in White House Heritage so much better than they were just a year ago. Yeah, no, they're not going to lack a moral victory from from this perspective, but it, it it does show a marked improvement for them. It's tough having a, a region loss like that when you come down to the postseason and you're literally one play away from being maybe having a home field in the first round or even winning a region. That uh, could be the case for the Patriots, but. They've got to feel pretty good about their chances to win a lot more region games this year. Oh, for sure. And I'll say this about Springfield, too. Really nice bounce back after a sluggish start to the season. Uh, I know that one's down to the wire, and you know what? You made a play with 20 seconds to go on special teams. Uh, after that week one loss at Wilson Central, they could have kind of hung their head, but they're here 2-1 and one now. They, uh, they bounced back really nice for a really good region win. We're going to find out more about that region uh, this week because Springfield plays White House. Now that that's a huge game for that region. White House hasn't played a region game to this point. They will this week after being off earlier the year. Uh, that region is going to be really interesting to watch down the stretch to see how that kind of shakes out. There's still several teams that could finish pretty much anywhere in that grouping. It's not as one-sided anymore. No. Springfield the last couple of years has run away with it. They've had the talent, and I, I think maybe week one. I don't think it, it's not the team that they are, but it it just kind of showed that. They're, they're a different team. They don't have the the firepower. They don't have the dominance that they've had the last couple of years. And they're going to be in a lot of ball games this year. They're still a good team. But in that entire region, you know, Springfield not returning as many key players, but some of these other teams have really built up just like White House Heritage. You guys set a record for the earliest mention of kickers in this show so far, six minutes in. So, well, next time, where were we at? Eight, eight last week? I or think something? he beat it by, I I think he beat beat by two minutes. <laughs> I can beat that. I won't beat him on picks, but I can beat that. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you can see that. We're good at one thing. <laughs> <laughs> we're good at one thing. Yeah. Another game that came down to a kick Watertown over Trousdale County, 16 13 in the overtime. Purple Tigers get it done in OT with a field goal. They actually had a, a chance to win it in regulation with a field goal and missed. Yeah, it, this was kind of the tale of two halves, really. And I, yeah, really, in the first half, Watertown made a lot of mistakes. Trousdale, uh, they they capitalized. They go in at the half with a thirteen nothing lead. You know, and then just before, uh, just for ha- uh, just before the I think the fourth quarter, uh, the Watertown uh, Purple Tigers scored uh, their first. Get, they got on the board. But this came down to, we've talked before about how the youth that Trousdale County has. And they made mistakes. They turned the ball over five times. The big one, they had the ball. They, were, they had the ball under four minutes 
They're trying to uh, kill clock, and they throw an interception. Turn the ball over. Uh, you know, the interception, Elijah Williams uh, picks it off. You know, you're under four-minute mark, and you get a gift. And then it sets up the, the, the kick. So, really, this is, this is a growing pain game for Trousdale County because they, had, they really gave this one away, I feel. I mean, water, take nothing away from Watertown. They had, they had to execute, and they took advantage of, of mistakes. But I think that Trousdale really made some unforgivable errors here. These two teams can't help but play in games that are really close. Last year, Watertown won in the regular season 22-21. Trousdale County in uh, the playoffs won 15-7. And once again here, I think you bring it up, the turnovers, it's going to be very rare when you are able to win a ball game and turn it over five times. The fact that you go into an overtime game and have already turned it over that many times, I think you're right. Trousdale County is just lucky to be in that position to still be in the ball game after turning it over five times. Well, one of those turnovers was actually in the overtime. Uh, Trousdale turned over their possession, and that just set up the game winner for Watertown. So uh, mistakes at the wrong times. It just points to the youth on this team and the inexperience. Yeah, it's uncharacteristic for Trousdale County, but it's not a killer loss for them. They did the same thing happen last year. They lost to Watertown the regular season finished second in the region, wound up going to Watertown in the playoffs and beating them again into the state championship game. And I also bring up this. You talk about uncharacteristic. The offense right now for Watertown is kind of almost unrecognizable of what they've been in the past. Through three games last year, they were averaging about 43 points a game. Through three games this season, 16 points a game. They're just, they don't have the same offense, and some of that's the opponents and, and who they're playing and, and the circumstances. Always this Trousdale County-Watertown game is a, a low-scoring game, but – the number so far, it just doesn't even seem like that same Watertown offense. It's, it's kind of mind-blowing to look at those, those stats. Yep. Not, not a killer loss for Watertown because they are on that same path, or not a killer loss for Trousdale County because they're on that same path that they were last year and it got into the state championship game. If they hope to get back there again this year, they're going to have to do some of the same things that they did one year ago. Uh, speaking of some numbers, we've got some numbers for some standouts from last week. Time to pick our player of the week. Guys, we got – well, I'm going to go ahead and pass on this guy. I'm pretty sure one of you guys will bring up his name, Spencer Briggs. We, we say his name every week, and I'll go ahead and throw the numbers out there since we already have 260 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, just a huge day at, uh, overall. I'm going to go defensive here. Hayden Fly of Lipscomb Academy, 17 tackles, five-and-a-half tackles for loss, two-and-a-half sacks, a forced fumble, recovered two fumbles, and also scored a defensive touchdown. Did a little bit of everything on defense for the Mustangs. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at uh, Amari Jelks, uh, Stewart's Creek, uh, 13 carries, 231 yards, touchdown. Uh, big, big game there. Uh, you know, with that 3-0 start, he's been a big part of it. Uh, I, I would like to do uh, – going to compound on yours just a little bit because I want to give an honorable mention out to the Gallatin offensive line. Uh, you don't put up that those kind of numbers without having road graders out in front of you. Well, let's see. Let's look at uh, Nolansville's Tim Kutras. Uh, five catches, 78 yards, two TDs on defense, five tackles, two picks, and a tackle for a loss. Uh, a pretty good night for the for the night standout there in Nolansville. Um, guys, it's a tough choice. It's yeah, a tough it, choice. It really is. I'm, and truthfully, I feel bad because Oakland doesn't get a whole lot of individual honors at this point. It's such a team performance. I mean, you look at Cody Sparks. Doggone near perfect, 9 of 10, 182 yards, four touchdowns, passing, one rushing. But when you look at some of these other performances, it, it, it just doesn't look the same. Now, later on, as we get into some bigger games, some better games, they get into some region stuff, that will probably change. But for right now, I'm looking at Oakland, and, and you just look at the whole team and say, okay, team. <laughs> yeah. And I feel compelled to mention this because – Spencer Briggs was our Week 2 Player of the Week, so he is ineligible to win another Player of the Week award this year. But we're going to mention him anyway just because he's been blowing the place up. So, no. Honorable mention to Spencer Briggs and that offensive line. Um, my vote is, is going to be Lipscomb Academy. Hayden Fly. Yeah, Hayden Fly, you, you don't get to – we haven't really brought up many defensive guys. And no. Part of that is because we don't really – you know, sometimes all those numbers aren't out there. 
But you see numbers like that, that just jumps off of a page. Yeah. I, I think I agree with you. Go defense. Defense wins. It's Hayden Fly from Lipscomb Academy is our player of the week. And we have some more business to tend to here. Our game of the week, which that poll just ended a short time ago. And our game of the week this week will be Beach at Hendersonville, the Battle of Hendersonville, a, a staunch rivalry between two crosstown schools. Uh, excited for that one because that always seems to be a very close ball game between those two teams, regardless of the records. Oh, I'm looking forward to this one for certain. There was not a bad game on that list on the Twitter poll. No, there was not one bad game. No, there no, wasn't. No, 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 no. No, there wasn't. We'll, we'll mention these games a little later on in, in who you got as well, so we'll have a little more to go on those four games. Uh, time for break. Yeah, this is the 615 Preps Podcast. We're recording this podcast on Wednesday, September 11th. It is the 18th anniversary of the tragic attacks on the United States of September 11th, 2001. A dark day in American history and one that we will never, ever forget. And we honor those who lost their lives that day, both in the senseless attacks and the ones who were first responders on the scene to take care of those who were injured, the ones who raced to chaos when chaos erupted, either in New York or the Pentagon of Washington or Flight 93 in Pennsylvania. Uh, just a senseless tragedy, and we will always remember those that we lost on September 11, 2001. Uh, Scott, I, I can tell you that you know, I have some first responders in my family. It, it touches me a bit more to see some of these tributes that have come out you know, ever since then. It, it's difficult to, to really fathom you know, what it would be like to lose somebody in that type of, way, type of manner. Yeah, it it really affected it really affected everybody uh, in the country and around the world. Really, you see so many tributes today. Um, my daughter was seven years old, and I could never imagine a world that I would have to explain that uh, something like that happening to her. So, um, but there is something that we can do, and uh, I'm just going to bring up four charities that uh, we would like you to uh, make a donation to. I'll be picking one and making a donation myself. Uh, one of them is the Feel Good Foundation. That's F-E-A-L, uh, Feel Good Foundation. Uh, they advocate for 9-11 uh, uh, first responder benefits. The Michael Lynch Foundation, they provide educational grants to children of firefighters and other victims of 9-11. Tuesday's Children, which is long-term general support of families of victims of the 9-11 attacks and other terrorist attacks worldwide, and of course the Wounded Warrior Project, which supports servicemen and women, uh, servicemen and women injured after the 9-11 attacks. Uh, if you if you can uh, give to one of these or uh, the charity of of your choice, but uh, let's find a way to honor first responders and the people that. Uh, that lost their lives in that senseless tragedy. We will continue with the 615 Purpose Podcast after this. Uh, we're talking with Brandon Martin of VR2. Um, Brandon underscore VR2. He's a co-host of VR2's uh, Sunday Sideline Podcast. Is that correct? Did I get it all right? Yes, <laughs> yes sir, it is. Thank you all for having me. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, Brandon, can you tell me a little bit about, uh, about your podcast and about, uh, about your, uh, your uh, website? Uh, our website is volrecruitingreports.org. Uh, we primarily focus on any players the University of Tennessee is recruiting. We do mostly football. We do some basketball as well, but we do mostly football. Uh, and we try to get our eyes on our eyes physically on as many of their potential targets and recruits as we can. Uh, our group primarily is three people. It's myself, it's the uh, founder of the site, uh, Matt Ray, and Dale Dowden. Uh, we go a little bit all over. We try to get our own video, our own photographs, uh, put out original articles, uh, sit recruits down. We do commitment interviews. Uh, we Our Sunday Sideline podcast that you were talking about is we try to at least once a week sit down with one of the recruits that we've got and have a more in-depth interview with them, put that out if we can. So 
that's what we're doing again. You can find all that at allrecruitingreports.org. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, the main account is underscore VR2 underscore. And you can find us on Facebook, VR2 as well. Brandon, this is Chris. Um, Tennessee's had probably one of the worst possible starts of the season that it could have had. What kind of effect have you seen in recruiting just on the aftermath of both losses to Georgia State and BYU? Well, I've talked to a few of Tennessee's top targets and some of my compatriots after these games. We've talked to guys who were on visits for those games, uh, even the Georgia State game, and we've not really seen any change. Tennessee's got a class right now. They have they have 14 guys in the class. They did have a decommitment yesterday, and I'll address that in just a second. But the guys that are that are in this class right now, most of them are very, very, very solid. Uh, after Georgia State, after BYU, uh, they have taken Twitter. Quite a few of them and said, "Yo, this is what I signed up for. I'm coming to play at Tennessee. We're coming to fix this. I'm on the way." And you've got guys in this class actively recruiting the others to keep the class together. Uh, Tennessee did have a decommitment yesterday. A three-star cornerback from down in uh, Okoye, Florida, uh, named by the name of Lovey Jenkins. Uh, Lovey flipped from the University of Tennessee to University of Louisville. Uh, Lovey was one of about three guys in this class that I felt like could have been a flip candidate for a while. And I don't think Lovey's issue has anything to do with uh, with the record. Uh, when you look at what Lovey was bringing in, he's a little undersized, rangy, very fast corner, scrappy kid. But Tennessee had a lot of corners. You've still got you have Bryce Thompson back now. Volante Taylor's a sophomore. You've got Warren Burrell that's playing this year as a freshman. Uh, Ty Seals is still on the roster. He's not played much this year. Uh, one of the top targets in this upcoming class in 2020 and a mid-state guy I know you all are very familiar with Keyshawn Lawrence. Yep. And when we've talked mm-hmm. to Keyshawn, even though he has played a lot of safety, he's told us Tennessee's looking at him as a corner, uh, letting him play corner and moving him out there. So they believe he has that kind of speed and would be able to do that. And when you start adding those guys up, start adding in guys like uh, uh, Kenny Solomon as well from last year's class, Lovey was going to have a hard time getting on the field, and, and that's not even counting in the, the number two junior college player in this cycle in any position. Art Green is a four-star corner that's also committed in this class. So Lovey was going to have a hard time getting snaps, and the pathway to playing at Louisville is a, a lot less crowded, a lot, a lot less difficult. And I feel like he fits what Scott Siderfield wants to do up there very, very well. So I, he was a guy we were kind of wondering if might flip or not, and I don't want this to sound awful. I don't think it's a huge loss for Tennessee in this class. If Tennessee wants to add another defensive back, and they do, they want one more. I think it'd be another safety. Uh, yeah, can you tell us that, uh, maybe who are some kids out there that are under the radar that deserve a look? I know that uh, when we were together at the uh, Ravenwood-Blackman game, uh, there were a couple out there that you were uh, really interested in that hadn't quite gotten the looks that you thought they deserved. Well, you find, I mean, you find kids every year, uh, and some of the guys I think that may deserve a look may or may not wind up being uh, targets Tennessee has. But I see a lot of kids that can play every year. Uh, one of the guys that has left out to me is Tony Rice at Ravenwood. Uh, Tony's a running back out there. Uh, he's, he's not a Tennessee target. To my knowledge at this point, I don't think Tony has any offers. I'm really surprised. Uh, Tony's a guy that, if you put on his tape and watch what he's doing, he's a very, very complete running back. He's a patient runner. He's got good speed. He puts his foot in the ground and gets a field. He's a good receiver. Uh, he's had production. He's a good teammate. Uh, I, I think Tony is a guy that could really be a big addition to a to a school if they wanted to add a, a quality running back, especially at a smaller school. I think he could come in and make an impact right now. You mentioned Tony Rice at Ravenwood. Uh, let's talk a, a minute about one of his teammates, uh, Reggie Grimes II. Now, you guys talked to him on your podcast recently, and he has a decision at Thanksgiving about where he's going to go. Do you kind of feel like he may narrow that top five down, or do you think it stays at, the, at the, those five until Thanksgiving? Well, 
the only school that I think he might trim down, uh, I think he may trim Florida State out. Now I, that that could change. Florida State could pour it on, but and, and this is nothing that Reggie has told me. This is just from talking to him. Florida State tends to always come up last. Florida State tends to be the last one that he tacks on the conversations. Uh, the the relationship he has with Alabama there is very interesting. Uh, the very first time I spoke with him, he didn't even mention Alabama to me. And then the last time we had had a chance to talk with him, had an interview with him, of course we brought in. I know it was, uh, of course that's where his father played, and his father's the, the defensive coordinator at Ravenwood. You know, Reggie, Reggie's dad played there. He's got some interest there. But Alabama has been on and off with him. Uh, it's It's been a, a bizarre recruitment, and I don't understand why Alabama's not jumping all over him. Uh, if he did any trimming, I think it would be Florida State. If he trimmed it to a top three, I think Alabama would be the other one to get dropped. Uh, and I'm going to tell you this, and a lot of people don't don't believe me when I tell them this, Vanderbilt has got a, a very, very real shot of landing Reggie Grimes. That top three, I think the top three right now are probably, in no particular order, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and South Carolina. And Vandy is right there. Vandy, Vandy could very legitimately, seriously land Reggie Grimes. It kind of sounds like the same situation Jawan Williams had when he was recruited a couple of years ago when he played at Vanderbilt and he was in the same boat. And Vanderbilt wound up landing him late. Do you kind of see the similarities there between those two? I, I see some. I think for for Reggie, the opportunity to stay home and maybe be a hometown kind of a hometown hero in Nashville, I believe that's important to him. He's very very close to his family. I know that's a, that's going to weigh in. And he's also a very very bright young man. Uh, if you've not had a chance to talk with him, he is incredibly impressive. But he wants to be a mechanical engineer. Uh, that degree and that after football career matters to him. And the prestige of Vanderbilt, you know, a Vanderbilt diploma definitely weighs into that factor. It definitely factors into that decision for him. Uh, yeah. And uh, looking at uh, some of the uh, recruiting processes, you've, you've been around recruiting for a while. You know, for the layperson, uh, is there anything about the recruiting process that maybe people don't understand? Um, I mean, not much besides all of it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I I was an avid, avid, avid college football fan for years and followed it very, very closely. I kept up with recruiting, but it wasn't until I got in with VR2 and started working with Matt and Dale that I began to understand how crazy this is. Uh, I think an interesting thing is going to be a difference in an offer and a committable offer. A school gives you an offer. They may say, well, we're extending you an offer for scholarship. That doesn't mean that you can accept and play for them right away. It has to be a committable offer. Uh, Not only do a lot of lay people not understand that, a lot of players and their families don't understand that that have not ever dealt with it. You have the issues of guys getting recruited over. You have the issues of different academic standards at different schools and state to state that may vary some. And you ask, why could a guy get it at one school and not at another? Well, were the entrance requirements different? Were those little slot differences when it's a knife edge case can, can make a difference? Uh, you'll have some guys who fly under the radar until about two weeks before signing day and one big program will find their tape and offer them and then the market blows up for them. Uh, Tennessee has a guy in this class uh, by the name Mordecai McDaniel. He is from St. Joseph's uh, College High School out in Washington, D.C. And now Mordecai is by most recruiting services a three-star safety and I assure you that by the time his recruiting winds up, he'll be a four-star. Uh, the reason for that is Mordecai and most of those St. John's guys don't go to very many recruiting camps. They don't go to a lot of the camps. Uh, the St. Joe's guys have got a lot of, they have really good coaches and they have really good competition among themselves. 
so they would rather spend the time they feel like they can get better just working with the coaches they have working against their teammates they don't camp much they also don't do a lot of media stuff just most of those guys in that school don't do a lot of media interaction they don't really care for it as a result they tend to get rated a little lower because they're not getting the exposure where a lot of the uh a lot of the media types, a lot of the scout types are at. And beyond that, some of these sites, it is a little political as well. That also factors in. But when you start putting on tape and looking at what these guys can do, you're going, how did these guys get missed? Well, they weren't in a place where uh, there are necessarily a ton of eyes on them. I, I think Mordecai is a good example of that. And you, and you see guys like that in the mid-state here, too. Uh, if you don't camp a lot, you may not do as well. A lot of your two-sport guys, if you get somebody that plays, uh, especially if you get somebody that plays baseball, if you get somebody that plays baseball and or runs runs a lot of track, if they do that instead of the football camps, you may see their, their rankings drop. The recruiting is a whole different animal. And I, I still learn new stuff every day, every single day. So it's, it, it's a lot deeper than I think most people realize. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting stuff. I yeah, to, to hear you talk about some of the nuances that go on in recruiting, it's, it's wild to me. I'm learning some things about that myself. Uh, what's a game or two that you might be going to in the next few weeks that's going to interest you from a recruiting standpoint? Well, now this week I'm going to be I'm going to be at the Brentwood and uh, Brentwood and Whitehaven game. Mm-hmm. I got to watch in Whitehaven last year. Uh, they had an offensive lineman. Uh, my name Melvin McBride that wound up committing to Tennessee. And Melvin, a great kid, unfortunately got to UT and found out he had a heart condition. Uh, wasn't able to play. Doesn't look like he's going to be able to, which, again, just breaks my heart. He's, he's a good kid. I got, got a little close to him, and I, I thought a lot of him. But I've, I've watched Whitehaven a lot. And, boys, I don't know if you all have seen them, but that's a factory. <laughs> they just – they just roll out D1 talent. They roll out guys with D1 offers. And them coming out here to play Brentwood is going to be a fun, fun, fun game. If you were in the mid-state area, I really recommend going to take a look at that game. Uh, you don't get to see Whitehaven out this way much. See them squaring off Brentwood is going to be... Uh, you're talking about two of the better programs in the state squaring off against each other in a matchup that we don't normally get. Uh, with a lot of talent there, and I'm I'm excited to see that. That's great stuff, Brandon. Um, really, thank you for for coming on with us this week. Uh, a lot of great information. I know a lot of people are curious to see how some of the recruiting is impacted by by Tennessee's poor start and and kind of what the future might hold for them. Um, tell everybody again where they can find you in social media. Hey, if you guys want to look us up, we are VolRecruitingReports.org. You can find us on Twitter at underscore VR2 underscore and on Facebook at VR2. Uh, we will send links to uh, all of our all of our interviews, everything that we do on there. We do have a premium membership. It's $2 a month. Uh, between the three of us, we co- cover a lot of states, and we try to load some of the little nuggets and the uh, little juicy bits that don't normally get out on there. Uh, you'll get early access to a lot of our videos and our player interviews. Uh, and and we do a lot of we do a lot of driving. So just this last weekend, I was down in Athens, Georgia, uh, watching Lenise Whitehead and Dion Colsey at Athens Academy, while my partners were here in Nashville taking a look at the Innsworth and Knox Catholic game. So if you are interested in University of Tennessee football recruiting, I can say without bragging, uh, as far as boots on the ground, we're as good as it's going right now. I appreciate you guys having me. I'd love to come back on any time, and thank y'all for. Uh, taking the time with me today brad and you're certainly welcome anytime and again appreciate the time and uh, all the information that you've been able to share with us it's great stuff hey thank y'all for having me enjoy it and I'll, I'll see you guys out there hopefully see somebody on a friday night maybe sounds good sounds great brandon martin from vol recruiting reports who you got is up next this is the 615 preps podcast guys i may have had one of the best sandwiches yesterday it was awesome i got it at milo coffee house in portland I know they're known for great coffee, but they also have delicious lunch options. If you're in Portland, stop by Milo Coffee House at 125 Main Street in Portland. Tell them the boys from 615 Preps sent you. Back here on the 615 Preps podcast, our final segment this week, Who You Got? 
last week, not to brag or anything, but I did go eight and two, and I'm still leading. So there's that. Uh, Twitter voters, yeah. tw- Twitter voters went eight and two as well. They're game back at nineteen and eleven. I'm twenty and ten. Christian went five and five. Oh. He's sixteen and fourteen on the season. No, no, no. Scott went four and six and is now sitting at five hundred at fifteen and fifteen. So hey, there's I, a little bit of a gap there, but it can be made up easily with yeah. one bad week. So. I, 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 look, I I don't want you to hurt yourself. Would you pat him on the back, please? Because I think he's going to break his arm. I I think we need to start listening to the people a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. yeah, unfortunately, we don't. <laughs> You, you guys, you guys are not supposed to find out my secrets, guys. Come on now, yeah. let's, let's be yeah. real about yeah. this. Yikes! Um, you know, he waits till we make our picks. And yeah. Makes his, yeah. Now, now, um, <laughs> I have my ideas anyway. You know, in my mind, there is something in there. Just to let you know. Well, yeah, you, I'm sure you're not following my lead. Uh, <laughs> you're probably picking the opposite. <laughs> First up on the dock, it's it's Summit at Franklin. Uh, Summit with Destin Wade at quarterback has been red hot to start the year. Yeah, Destin Wade had a really big game last week. Uh, four touchdowns in the air, 267 yards. I'm telling you, Summit is the story right now. Uh, in all of those teams in Williamson County, there, there's been so many that have done so well. But I'm telling you, in Class 5A, Summit is a team that's going to make some noise. They've already started off with a uh, one of their best records in school history. And just the Rebels, just for some reason, they can't seem to catch a break right now. I'll take the Summit Spartans. Well, you know, Franklin, you know, they do find themselves 1-2, and 0-1 in the region play. But they've played some heavyweights now. Uh, they, you know, they lost last week to a driven uh, Ravenwood team. But I'm worried about their offense. Uh, they only managed one red zone drive against Ravenwood, and penalties were a problem. I do expect Coach Webb to get that uh, cleaned up, but uh, I can't disagree. I'm going Summit. The Franklin's going to need to score a lot of points to keep up with Summit's offense right now, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that. I'm taking Summit as well to make it a three-way sweep. Uh, Twitter voters right now at 68% in favor of Summit with a couple of days before kickoff. So it, it's four It's four for Summit at this point. Riverdale at Smyrna. Uh, the last game of a three-game road trip for the Warriors. Uh, you know, Taylor Yancey is just playing extremely well right now. They've got a very powerful offense, and Smyrna is still struggling with the passing game. I'm going Riverdale. Yeah, Smyrna just got their first win of the year last week against uh, Overton. It's a team that they can run the ball. Z Johnson had a big week last week, 160 yards on the ground and a touchdown. But just Riverdale continues to go, and the thing you brought up is they're doing it on the road. Go to Franklin and win. Go to Cookville and get a region win. I think they get a clean sweep on the road with a win at Smyrna this week. It's difficult when you have to go with so many road games early in the year, but Riverdale is showing that they can do it, and they're doing it in some pretty tough places to play. Give me Riverdale as well. So, again, three-way sweep for Riverdale. 92% of the voting also going to Riverdale on the Twitter polls. So it's it's all Riverdale's way at this point. Columbia Academy at Davidson Academy, the defending Division two single A champs in a bit of a tough start. Yeah, both of them. Both are zero and two. They've had their buys already. Uh, neither team scoring a lot of points for uh, Davidson Academy. First zero and two start since two thousand twelve, and uh, we talked beginning of the season about can they keep it up after the season they had last year. It's not been a great start, but I think Davidson Academy rebounds. One of these teams have to get their first win of the season this week. And I think it's Davidson Academy at home. My question with Davidson Academy is can they sustain drives? I mean, opponents are averaging twice as many first downs. Um, they also have to cut down the penalties and the mental errors. And it's young. The team's young. They're playing with, uh, playing like it. Um, Bulldogs coming in this game off the bye week. I'm going to go with the Bears here. Now, Davidson Academy, they're off to a tough start, but, you know, Jonathan Quinn is an experienced head coach. He's got his teams at championship levels before, and maybe they can do that again. I, I do lean toward Davidson Academy just because of the experience, at least on the coaching staff anyway. I know Columbia Academy's got some experience in their coaches as well, but you know, it's hard to, to go against the defending champs. I mean, there's a pedigree there that they're starting to build, and, and Davidson Academy's got that, and I'm going to lean at least that way for this week with them. Lipscomb Academy at Page. This one looks on paper to be a pretty good one. I think this is going to be a, a really good game. Page survived a late uh, Shelbyville rally, uh, stopped the uh, final play short, 
Cade Walker's good leader. Question is going to be, can uh, Coach Charles Rathbone's uh, defense stop Dilfer's offense? Um, I don't think so. I'm going Lipscomb in this game. Yeah, and we started from the beginning of the year, and I've talked about how just fascinated I am with the whole Trent Dilfer aspect at Lipscomb Academy. And you know what? I went against them last week, and they went on the road at FRA, won 56-26. And uh, we talked about our players of the week and the stats they put up. We could have gone through four, five, six different Mustangs with how many the numbers they put up. But you know what? Paige back at home and you bring up the play of Cade Walker, and he's got some weapons outside. Uh, Miles Bond, Bubba Johnson, I think the Page Patriots at home. Hate to go against the Mustangs, but I'm going to go with Page. Uh, I went with Lipscomb Academy last week, and they proved me right. Um, but this is a tough matchup for Lipscomb Academy just because of what you just mentioned, with Cade Walker and his weapons out there. I like Page at home. I like this to be a close game and maybe a high-scoring one, but I think Page does win this one. Sorry, Lipscomb. <laughs> <laughs> Lebanon at Laverne. Laverne's an interesting case. They're starting to come back in, in, into their own. I, I, I was going to say the exact same thing. Laverne, this is, you know, maybe if you're watching college game day, this is upset alert here because Laverne, they're, they're scoring a lot of points. They're averaging about 46 points a game. And, and I'm going to say this, Lebanon, not the start that a lot of people thought they'd be on. Yes, they played uh, Mountain Juliet and they opened up with a Gallatin team not a lot of people knew about. Lebanon one and two, Laverne. You know what? Laverne at home. I want to go with them, but I got to go with the Blue Devils. I just think, I think Coach Gentry there kind of understands. You know, region play is going to really start ramping up here as we approach the second half of the season, and the Blue Devils just got to get back on track. Yeah, they they really struggled against Mount Juliet. Uh, their offense just couldn't get on track. Uh, they just seemed unprepared for the spread offense that was thrown at them. It's uncharacteristically gave up 292 yards in total offense, uh, held to 91 yards rushing. That just doesn't happen. Laverne, you know, they have an opportunistic D, but I, I just can't help but think that Lebanon's going to bounce back. You know, Laverne's off to a good start, but uh, I think Lebanon needs this game more so than Laverne does, it's just for morale and confidence. They've had a couple of top losses early, and I think Chuck Gentry and his guys are going to be a little bit more enthusiastic jumping out of the gate, just looking to, to hit somebody and, and knowing that this game doesn't necessarily cost them in the standings. I think Levin rolls in this one. Yep. Yeah. Gallatin and Mount Juliet. You know, we talked about both these teams earlier in the podcast. Uh, this is a huge game. It's, it's a former 9-AAA rivalry. It's not a region game, but it, it's still a lot of pride on both sides. Uh, check your watch. I think Spencer Briggs just got another first down. <laughs> the, green, oh, wow. the Green Wave running game, they're just hard to stop. I mean, Spencer Briggs with 734 yards and nine TDs so far this season, three games. So uh, they're just dominating opponents, though, also on defense. I mean, they're playing complete ball. Mount Juliet shaking off the loss and, and shutting down. This is, this is a tough one for me. Mm-hmm. It really is. But I can't go against Gallatin at this point. I might be a, a dummy for going against him because I keep do I keep going and, and you just wait for Coach Watson in his first year at Gallatin for some kind of slip up. They haven't done it yet, but I'm telling you, this is the biggest test they've had to this point. It might not be a region game. It's an old district rival, and they're still rivals in all other sports. But you know what? This is going to be one of the better defenses that you can really face around. And Mountain Juliet, they got kind of back on their game this past week against Lebanon. And this is their first home game. We're already four weeks in, and the Golden Bears are now playing their first home game. I think this is a. I think Gallatin plays tough with Mountain Juliet, but I like the Golden Bears in the end. Trey Perry can scheme for tough running backs. Uh, he's been able to do that in the past, and I think he'll find a way to slow Spencer Briggs down to a point, but not enough. I think Gallatin goes to Mount Juliet and gets the win and stays unbeaten. I think Mount Juliet does keep this very close, though, especially in front of that home crowd and their home opener. It's going to be a very good ball game, but I'm, I'm taking Gallatin in this one. 
The Bishop's Cup is on the line at Father Ryan. JP2 heads down there. This this rivalry has been close the last couple of years. JP2's had the edge in the last couple of years, and uh, Father Ryan wants the cup back. And this game was one of our games on the poll of the week, and that's what I was I was going to say. I don't think this game got enough love with the just the, the outcomes we've had in this game in the last couple of years. It's been overtime. It's been special teams driven, all kind of dramatic plays, and you know what? I'm. I think it's going to be another good ball game. But JP two. I just. I think they just. They score a little bit more than Father Ryan, and they've won the last three. I think they make it four. And Antoine Roberts is going to be a big reason in that way. I think you're exactly right. Antoine Roberts is going to be the the X factor here. Six TDs in the first, you know, two games. Uh, and they were held to none against Briarcrest. Uh, you know, the Fighting Irish dropping down uh, a division uh, against Baylor. Um, I, I don't see I, – I just don't see JP2 coming out of here with the loss. I'm going with the Knights. Antoine Roberts had under 50 yards, I think, last week against Briar Crest. I think he has a big bounce-back game this week, and I think the Knights win, but I don't think it's a blowout. I think Father Ryan keeps us close as in traditional fashion. These two tens, teams keep tend to keep it. So Yeah, totally agree. Uh, Portland at Greenbrier. Now this we talked about that region. This is another key game for positioning in in that region in four A, uh, for you know playoff spots down the line. But I, I really like what uh, Coach Kavanaugh's got going over at Portland though. Uh, he's got a really good quarterback that can do it all, run pass. He's a kind of an X factor, and I think they made a statement last week against Montgomery Central. Yeah, this is a is a big game for the Bob, Bobcats. The they need the region win. I don't think they get it. I think that uh, the Panthers take this one. Yeah, Caleb Mandrell, a quarterback for Portland, big game last week against Montgomery Central. Five total t- touchdowns, three in the air, two on the ground. This is a Portland team. They're putting up some points early this year, thirty points a game, and this is the first of three road games. They're starting a, a road trip. I like the Panthers here. I just think they're too much for Greenbrier. They win the second one in a row against Greenbrier. Yeah, people are going to start hearing a little bit more about Caleb Bantrell. I think after this game, I expect him to have a big one in this contest, and I think Portland rolls against Greenbrier. The Bobcats need this win, but like you said, Scott, they're not going to get it. I don't think uh, it's going to be tough for their playoff chances because they need this win to stay in the playoff race. It's going to be really tough for Greenbrier to, to do that, though. Cane Ridge at Seward's Creek was another one of those that we were talking about for the game of the week. Cane uh, Ridge gets has gotten their quarterback back, so they're more closer to full strength than they were at the beginning of the year. But Stewart's Creek's rolling right now. Well, hopefully Scott's uh, championship prediction for the first time <laughs> champions kind of picks back up after this quarterback gets back. Xavion Clemens back from injury. I believe he was hurt week one in their uh, their match over at TSU or the the doubleheader. You know what? It, it hadn't been a great start for Cane Ridge, but they're getting back. The return of a quarterback, they're establishing a run game. But I'm telling you, Stewart's Creek, they're a different ball club with head coach Burt Brown. 3-0 and for the first time in school history. And I'm, I feel pretty confident saying this. This possibly is for Region 5, 6A, uh, first place. Maybe Smyrna gets back in there at the end of the year. I'm going to go Red Hawks here. I, I just think Burt Brown has got them going in the right direction. I think he gets them to 4-0. Yeah, the Red Hawks. You know, Amari Jokes is just running wild right now. Uh, you know, 520 rushing yards, uh, five TDs. And, and, you know, 3-0 for the first time in the program's history. They're playing stout competition, and their confidence is growing. On the other hand, you know, the Ravens find themselves at 1-2. You know, they took it out on McGavick, but – and I know they're getting uh, – uh, their quarterback back, but I don't think it'll make a difference this week. I think it's a close game, but I think Stewart Creek wins it. I like what Jelks is doing for Stewart's Creek. He's been really effective for them. Um, it's a really good time to be at Stewart's Creek. I mean, that program is going in the right direction under Burt Brown, and they're off to a terrific start. They're going to be in the in the region title picture, but Kane Rich needs this ball game, and they need it desperately if they're going to have any shot at home field in the first round. And I think they get it. I'm giving Kane Rich the nod this week. One more to go. It is our game of the week. It is Beach at Hendersonville, the Battle of Hendersonville. And these rivals have gone back to the early 80s since Beach actually came in as a school. This has typically been a pretty close rivalry over the years. But for me, you know, Beach is a top team in 5A, and they're looking to make a statement, guys. 
Yeah, Hendersonville's got the big play potential, but I don't think that uh, they can survive the mistakes they made against Station Camp uh, if they make those against Beach. You know, Beach had a good opportunity to rest their starters uh, in the region opener with Glencliff. I think that Beach is going to capitalize on the mistakes that uh, that Hendersonville make. I'm going with the Buccaneers here. I thought this was one of the tougher games on our schedule that we were picking today because it's just back and forth. You look at the history between the two. It's just one team wins one year, the other team wins the next year. Uh, since 2010, uh, there have been 10 games between these two schools. The home teams won seven of those 10 games. That hadn't been the case the last two years. The road team has won the last two games. You know, Beach is on the road, and if it continues like that, Scratch it. I'm going Hendersonville. I I just think the home team wins. Uh, they won it last year, 45-27. I think Commandos get it done at home. I, I think this Beach team is going to be a force to be reckoned with in 5A all year long. And this game is really about you know, controlling the ball and, and limiting mistakes. And I think Beach is doing that well enough right now to win this football game. And I think they do that. You know, Hendersonville, to me, and Scott, you mentioned the mistakes in Station Camp last week. Yeah, it's definitely different when you're playing an Anthony Crabtree coach team that will chew clock on you and will make you pay for your mistakes tenfold. Beach is my pick, and I, I think that uh, this is a close game to me, but I think you know the experience wins out. What do people say? Uh, the people. Uh, the people. The people are saying Beach, 52-48. So close one again. still close again. And by the time the thing kicks off Friday night, it could be the other way around. Uh, we didn't actually mention some of the other ones. Stewart's Creek, 90% over Cane Ridge. Portland, 86% over Greenbrier. Father Ryan, 71% over JP2. It's still early. Right. Lipscomb Academy, 62% over Page. Laverne, 64% over Lebanon. Davidson Academy, 86% over Columbia Academy. Riverdale, 92% over Smyrna. And as we mentioned, our first one, Summit, 68% over Franklin. So those are our picks. We'll see how these play out, and then we'll do it all again next week. I'm hoping just to be at 500. If I'm 5-5 five and five this week, I'll be happy. <laughs> Everything's going down since week one. Yeah, I'm, I, truthfully, I'm, way, I'm hoping for the same thing because right now I'm 15 and 50. You know, if I can just stay 500, I'm not a loser. Well, at least not in this. <laughs> well, folks, that's it. Thank you for tuning in to the 615 Preps Podcast. We will see you all again next week. And programming note, we plan on having it a day earlier next week. We'll be recording on Monday, and we'll have it drop on Wednesday morning so you have an extra day to listen to us and get ready for Friday night. You can listen again if you miss something or break it down by segment, whatever you want to do. Listen as many times as you want. That's right. On social media, I'm at SeabrooksTN. Scott? At MPP Scott. And at CP Capozzi 18. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at 615 underscore preps and 615 preps on Instagram as well as our Facebook page as well. And if you're looking to get in contact with us, email us at midstatepreps at gmail.com. Again, this is the 615 Preps Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. See ya. Bye-bye. Five Preps Podcast is a production of B Square Media LLC.